Welcome to the Money Makers Podcast, brought to you by Sophia. Sophia is an exciting education platform for women with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. This podcast is a finance, innovation, and investing show for amazing women everywhere of all ages. Each fortnight, we will feature an inspiring woman from the investing and finance sector or a female founder with a special focus on Asia. To receive a 10% discount on all of our courses, go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10. Our guest today is CEO and founder at Zazazu, Jingjing Liao. Welcome, Jingjing. Thank you so much for having me, Thank you for being here. Before we start, and I'm super excited to have you on the show, and I've been wanting to have you on for so long. Can I grab a quick introduction to yourself and your background, where you come from, where you are now, and then you know how you've got to Zazazu? Yeah, um, happy to. So Jingjing, originally from China, and I went to Germany when I was 16 and pursued a very male-dominated subject industry in automotive was the first marketing director in a billion dollar firm in Germany and pursued my own entrepreneurial journey on the side as a side hustle and which eventually became a proper business, which we decided to expand when this is where I quit my corporate career and came to Singapore five years ago. And um, we exited luckily in 2019 and um, I asked myself, okay, what's next? And for to empower women, as I always, I have always been in a male-dominated industry. And there was always, I was always the only woman in everywhere, only Asian woman, the youngest, the whatever. And um, I felt this strong urge and passion to empower women to do more because we can do more. We just haven't found the access yet. And being in my corporate career, I have learned a lot from I mean, there are very few female leaders, CEO, CEO, C-suite at that time in Germany, in Europe compared to um, Asia. And I always felt that at the end of the day, it's not enough to tell women just to lean in. And I am not a fan of Shirley Sandberg's concept of lean in. I believe that fundamentally women do not believe they are entitled to the board seat, to the salary increase, to many, many things. So how to change that? So I did a lot of research on the internet, where can I contribute with my experiences as a very successful woman at young age in a male-dominated industry? If I can do it, anyone can do it, which is the angle. And I encountered sexual well-being. Of course, you need to, when you, it cannot just be a passion project. There need to be business behind. And this is where I thought, if a woman cannot ask for what one of the most fundamental in human needs, which is sex, and she cannot ask for pleasure or how she would like to pursue her sexual well-being journey in the bedroom. How is she going to face a stranger in the boardroom or her boss, let it be male in that case, to ask for more? So let's start from there. This is how Zazazu started. So Zazazu, for everyone who does not know, is the first sexual well-being hub in Asia that synchronizes education, consultation, and digital service to empower women to own our sexuality with confidence. I love it. Thank you. I never really thought about in that way, that sense, sort of, if you can't ask from someone that you're with intimately what you want, how that, you know, sort of translates into asking your boss or a stranger. But yeah, that makes absolute sense. So before we dive into Zazazu, because this podcast is very much about 
Xingjing. And Zazazu is definitely part of the story. But before we get to Zazazu, so you're originally from China. What took you to Germany? And I think this is also, in hindsight, something that make me to do what I do today. Sometimes you don't understand mm. why this is your passion, your calling. Ultimately, I Zazazu helped me to find the answer to a lot of questions as well, is that I grew up with zero confidence as a woman because I was by Asian norm, the bad girl. I was extroverted. I had very dark skin, just still like today. People still think today I'm from Southeast Asia, but I'm really from Beijing, China. It cannot be more mainland. But I just naturally have very dark skin and I had loud voice. I like to um, express myself. Oh, and I was not really good in academia. So yeah, everything that you don't wish your daughter to be in the China, <laughs> in a very conservative society in the 80s in China, that was I. So I was oh, I was badly bullied as a, as a young girl. And my parents were overseas and my grandparents were very self-involved and they, they didn't stand up for me. So I didn't succeed in my head as a girl. So in when I was like 12, 13, I said, okay, I want to be a boy because I can't succeed as a woman. So let me cut my hair. I had really short hair. I dressed like a boy. And this is, I think, also the reason that I convinced myself I want to study industrial engineering, something that is very male-dominated, because I don't know how to be a girl, to be honest. And um, then when I was 15, 16, I finally ultimately recognized that who I am is not going to make it in the Chinese society. Mm. And I... I need to change myself 360 to become a very average person in the society. And there's nothing about me that was outstanding. It was admirable in the society. So I will not make it. So I said to my parents, you know what? I want to go to Europe. I want to go to a country that is strong in technology. And that was Germany. And I wanted to study a a different language as well, rather than just English, because everyone spoke English. In a way, they will speak speaking English. And I thought, yeah, but Germany was naturally the choice. And that actually fundamentally changed my perception about, you know, who I am. Individualism is extremely celebrated. And um, you rather, the ones that who stand out will not be criticized and every opinion will be heard. Well, it has their problem as well. It was a 100% shift. And then that steadily, I was able to build my confidence then as a woman, ultimately. Wow. What age were you when you went to Germany? 16. 16. So you were still studying? You went to... I went to high school. So I high went to school. high school. Wow. On your, school. Yeah. And on your own, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. It okay. was boarding school. Yeah. It was boarding school. Okay. Wow. So much to dive into. Um, so huge self-awareness and cultural awareness for someone so young and recognizing where you might fit in a little more, uh, very worldly and and wise, probably ahead of your years. And I hope that when you got to Germany, you felt that you were flourishing. Would that be fair? Yes, 100%. Because I was in in the contrary than in China, people were surprised that a Chinese girl actually spoke mm. up although she barely spoke German she spoke I, I didn't speak German I learned six months German and but I spoke with every single word I could put together because I want to express myself and that was extremely celebrated in the Western society the teacher encouraged you to speak whereas in China 
I spoke quite good English in compared to other students. I just naturally have a talent, I would say at that time. And but still the teacher would rather kick you down saying, okay, this is not grammatically not correct, then uh, encourage you to rather do it hundred. I, I always say roughly right than precisely wrong. And in China, mm-hmm. it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you finished your studies in Germany and you decided to stay in Germany yes. to work? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you started your career in marketing. Would that be correct? Yes. That's, yeah. uh, that was a quite different marketing. So that was uh, so Westinghouse Babco, now Tedev, which is the one, I think the third biggest automotive supplier now in the world. Um, B2B marketing is very different than B2C marketing as I experienced today. <laughs> and what was the catalyst for starting your first business, which was also in Germany, correct? In yes. the automotive yes. um, industry. So you talk about being, um, I can understand now why you were saying about being the only woman in the room, because automotive is, of course, a very male heavy industry. Um, and here you were as an Asian woman in Germany starting a business. What was the catalyst for that? It was, I would love to say that I always feel the urge to become and to become entrepreneur, but I didn't. <laughs> it was really a coincidence. I was at that. So my first career step was uh, in consulting strategic marketing in Siemens. And uh, we were at a fair, industrial fair. In, and I was standing at the booth and this was my very first role in the corporate. And a guy, a Chinese guy came, poorly dressed, I would say, came and said in Chinese to me, young girl, young lady, as in, I want to buy some machine. And I was like, okay, it does not work this way. This is a B2B business. So can you explain me more? What's, what are you looking for? It was, it was just in a German context, it was a very strange um, context in that sense of, because you don't in approach company like Siemens as an individual, say, I want to buy some machines. So can you just write me a check? I will write you a check and can you just ship it to me? So it turns out this one, this guy barely understand ABC, barely can, is uh, how do you call that word? Unalphabetism. So she, he actually barely understands um, how to write, even in Chinese. Ah, um, okay. So, and then he um, is, he lives in the 17th tier of city in China. So where the government has actually no influence in that segment. And he um, also, you can imagine the villages are still self-sufficient. They don't have any, because too far away for government to control. So they are governed individually. And he is, um, he came to a farmer and he, um, their village, the only asset of the village is harvest. And the machine they get from the big manufacturers always, always break. And for some of the harvest, for example, corn, you have in the whole year, you cultivate the whole year and you have one to two weeks to harvest everything. So if your machine, if a downtime appears to the machine during that two weeks, everything's gone. So the whole year is gone. And we're talking about millions in that case. And he said, I, for me, and we have, we have discovered it is either the engine or the gearbox. So for me, as a, you know, as a business owner or as a village lord, I didn't understand that time, which kind of dimension he was talking about. I want to have made in Germany quality because I heard that's the best, the gearbox and the engines. So give it to me. That was his thought process. And I was like, okay, this is really funny. This does not work this way. I was telling him ABC, how the specification wouldn't work. The volume is not there, so on and so forth. He listened to me for 20 minutes and he was like, 
this is why I'm so fearful to send my kids because nowadays I am a billionaire actually in China because the, I, I make sure that the 17 cities, it's a big region, this is the dimension of Indonesia. I made sure that everyone, you know, everyone, although the government does not get all the money to our country, to, to our villages, counties, and I made sure that everyone has enough food because we are self-sufficient. I'm so fearful to send my kids abroad because what you learn is barrier, is what you can't do. Why can I do it? And this may really made me think, okay, in fact, let's understand, why can't we do it? Then he said, uh, our village has thousand machines. Is that enough? I was like, okay, let me check. So Siemens at that time, the minimum order was 50s. And he said, no problem. Let me get the others on. So step by step, we put the problem statement there and he demystified. So instead of thinking it won't work because you don't have a Chinese guy who barely, who doesn't speak any English at all to come to a big, country, big company like Siemens and say, I want your machine. And step by step, we recognize that there is a business behind. And we, at that time, our third partner is a financier. So he came from BCG. So he really understand how to make business plans, how to make a viable business plan so we can get some money also from the bank as a loan. I don't understand VC, angel, or any other alternative um, funds yeah. to get it. So, and then ultimately, yeah, when he, so I was the bridge between China and Germany, the guy was, um, the, so the Chinese guy was the one who got all the agricultural manufacturer, the small ones, put this business together saying, okay, well, I get your machines, but I want to get the made in Germany engines. And my, my other partner, Theo, was in charge of, okay, this, are, this is the price you can ask, and this is the price, this is the minimum profit you need to make to make this viable. This is how we started. And 10 years, we have been done doing this from 2010 to 2019 until we exited. Yeah. Wow. So that was the catalyst. That's amazing. And so you ran that business for 10 years, you say? Nine, 10 years? Yeah. Yes, but part-time. So yes. I only went full-time in 2018, actually. But right. I came to Singapore. And when you came to Singapore, would I be right in thinking that you then went into the Antler program, but yes. after you'd been an entrepreneur for so long? Yes, that How was very. How did that work? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, such a that's such a so, um, I would say um, blessing and curse at the same time. Okay. So when I went to Antler, yes. we exited the previous business, so the yes. business was bought out by one of the biggest um, conglomerate in China, and in 2019. And I was, I was at INSEAD at that time. I always want to have a solid business knowledge as well. And after INSEAD, so everything, so the business is sold, INSEAD is done. I was like, okay, I want to start my second business, which is Zazazu in that case. Yes. With the sexual well-being, I have done the research during the time. What was missing was a co-founder. And mm. I massively contribute to my um, success of ASPO, so the previous business, is because of two partners. Without yeah. them, none of us, I mean, even without Theo, none of our three of us was a dream team. We have zero overlaps on expertise. So we blindly trust each other. And this is, and therefore we're extremely sufficient. No discussion because the guy simply didn't speak English. So yeah. it was only communication between me and him and Theo. So we were, and then I saw, okay, this was, this was at the end of the day, what made the business a successful business. Yeah. So when I was in Seattle and then I did the executive program, which did not, people were rather going to pursue their corporate career. I couldn't find someone who want, who are crazy enough to say, okay, <laughs> I went to INSEAD not to start a sexual well-being company here, please. So I went to enter for the sole purpose to find someone. That right. was the only, yeah, only goal. 
Mm, okay. But you're, you don't have a partner, do you? No. Yeah. And this is something, this is where, where I say the you know, blessing and curse at the same time is that what I forgot is that not, do not get a business partner for the sake of getting a business partner. You need to get a business partner. There are so many criteria that partner need to fulfill. And to give the credit to my co-founder at that time, she was someone that I knew because the program accelerator as such is that you have a two months intensive time to marry someone yeah. because your business is a marriage. How, how is that? How is that going to work? You won't understand their history. You won't understand how they deal with work. It's pure of pure talks at the end. And she was very upfront and she was, she was a very integral person. So I could trust her hundred percent, but in the business, you need skill sets. You need in certain business and not certain business, every business, of course you can learn, but things will be very slow. Yeah. And very often, if you are the first time entrepreneur, people massively underestimate what it takes to be an entrepreneur. People yeah. quit constantly. Yeah. Yeah, it's relentless. Absolutely <laughs> relentless. It's like raising children, actually. It's the, you, you could not just say, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to take, yeah. a, I'm going to take a break. There is no break. Yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> I, I, and I also agree with you on the co-founder. I mean, finding a co-founder, I, I talk about this a lot with a lot of our podcast guests, uh, because it comes up a lot for people, for both um, investors. It's a big ish, It's a big, you know, um, thing that they focus on the, who are the co-founding team and that dynamic. And then for the founder, themselves um, often you know there's problems uh, you know usually with small businesses problems for businesses stem from people problems whether it's hiring or co-founder yes. issues it's it's really really tough and I know myself having my own experiences that it is a really really tough um, situation to try to navigate um, to try to find those right people and there's a little bit of luck in there as well because you can do everything to um, you know, check all of that criteria. And I think that, you know, skill set matching, et cetera, um, or complementing, I should say, but there is a little bit of luck in there as well. Um, a lot of luck, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or bad luck. So um, when you came, so you came to Singapore, you joined the Antler program, but what, what did you, obviously you had an exit, which is a, a huge achievement on your part. Congratulations um, to the Thank three you. of you. What did you choose to do with, dare I ask, um, you know, any profits you made from that exit? Yeah. Something fun, so, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Something fun. Yeah. So um, I always, I am a big believer in um, diversify your in investment. And I don't understand actually the financial world that well. I mean, I understand stock market, but compared to my co-founder at that time from BCG, my first business, that was just, she actually opened up the door for me at that time when we talk about, okay, now we exited, what do we do with the money? Yeah. And he said, you diversify your portfolio. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and that he said, you put, he says, how do I do it? Is that at the end of the day, you don't want to put everything in one basket. Everyone understands that. But what the problem with what people do, the challenge, especially women, is that we are so scared to not meet our goal, to, you know, to, to lose things. Not women. I would say equally human, but women is just the way how we are educated. We are just compared to men, more risk averse at least women in my circle at that time. So I didn't diversify. I had some fun, some, you know, some, some, some very traditional um, investment. And he said, at the end of the day, you need to decide what's your risk appetite. 
what I do at that time, Theo was almost 50 at that time. And he said, I want to do 70% of my um, so safe investment that has very slowly grows, but I know when the, I will never touch it. Every day, the money go there, 70% of my income of the income that I save go there. And 30%, I do fund investment. Yeah. Investment that is art. That is a piece of art that is nowadays NFT and um, startups and something that I think that is very high risk. Most probably I'll lose everything. But because of that, if I if they do win, I get a huge portion out of that. Just look at how we exited. And I think this is how he stimulated my thought process. And I was like, okay, what is my risk appetite? So I, I am still young. I have 30, 40 years ahead of me for working. So I would do 50-50. So I put 50% of my assets, the exit to safe investment so that money I would never touch and 50% into growth. And so growth means for me, I'm not interested in art. I love startups. So this yeah. has always something been my, and I want to give it back, especially in the startup ecosystem. And I have benefited a lot, especially in Europe and here in the meanwhile, also in Asia and into topics that I am passionate and with which I also have a knowledge of you know, yeah. um, female health, automotive, my major investment are actually in automotive rather than female health. Yeah. Um, and also to, just to invest. Of course, if you have the freedom, people always say, yeah, not everyone exceeded, but it's actually not true. Even if you have $1,000, you can put 700 in the safe account and 30% in the gross account and even $10. Yeah. So the amount doesn't matter, it's the percentage. Yeah. And it's just getting started, isn't it? It's just doing something. It's uh, I'm always asked about, you know, what, what do I need to start investing? I'm scared of losing everything. And I'm just like, just start, just start small, be conservative. Yes. Um, you don't need to throw all your eggs in one basket, as you say, um, and lose risk all your money, but just start on, on a small and compound that over time. So yeah, I, that's fantastic. So you have diversified your portfolio. You've come to Singapore. You've tried to find a co-founder. It didn't quite work for you for Zazazoo, but you launched Zazazoo anyway. The Money Makers Podcast is brought to you by Sophia, the place for women to learn, invest and change the world. Sophia is an education platform for women, providing much needed courses on personal finance and investing with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. Go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all of our courses. So let's talk about Zazazoo. You know, it's a sexual wellness company headquarters in Singapore. Um, Talk to me about what that's like to launch in, um, you know, I'm living in Singapore, you're in Singapore as well. You know, it's relatively conservative as a country. Uh, I know this from doing a lot of research in this space. I have three investments in the sexual wellness space, as you know, but all of which are in the US, which is also uber conservative as a country. My, My companies just happen to be in New York. Um, so obviously more liberal, but US as a whole is very conservative. So talk to me about Singapore and launching a sexual wellness company. And what were some of the challenges you faced there and still probably face? Yeah. So I think to start a business here, um, so certain naivety helps. If I would know today 
the challenges and the obstacles, barriers, you name it, what I would face in the last two years, I would never stop it. So naivety helps. And now we are halfway through, not halfway through after two years. So you have to set a certain KPI as well. So, okay, after five years, if you are still not there, not fulfilling your KPI, maybe eventually you should think about dropping it. Mm. So, but I think we are, we are in our third pivot or my final pivot. I think we have found a better track. We are moving into B2B corporate workshops to get a bigger, better impact than just to the consumers. But reflecting on the two years journey, right? So I think conservatism, what you mentioned, is that something that I massively underestimated. What does that mean? Because at the end of the day, like you mentioned, even in the US, our society is still under, we are still under a very strong patriotic society. Mm. So women are, women are actually properties. If you think of it this way, <laughs> the properties that you hand over from your father to your husband, that's why the father walk you down the aisle, right? And this is always a control of act. So there's a lot of fear of unleashing women, you know, starting from burning the witches, Eva seduce Adams, all these kind of things. So we learn it that way. Sex is dirty because women, you can only do it with your husband and with one person. That's why people are so obsessed with virginity. Pleasure is guilty. So it's an act that done to you and not that act done with you. So with this thought process, the society has evolved, not evolved, let's put it this way, in the last 5,000 years. So still today, of course, women can be CEO. I think I have to say um, the time for women to do anything, to become anybody you want to be, it has never been better. I fully agree on that. But that's why I'm so passionate about bring the talk for the bedroom to, into the boardroom. <laughs> Is that something that is fundamental to towards the humanity? This is how you know, we all came from sex. And the female pleasure, when you talk about pleasure, self-care, sexual well-being, if you don't change the society narrative, if you don't make people think, women will still maintain property. I had this, this, this talk with a one of the most reputable CFO in Fortune 500, female. And she said, in the company, I am the number one and nobody there to question, even question, and I have absolute authority. In the moment where I go back home, my in-law, mom-in-law will tell me, you come back so late again, you know, we don't, we don't have leftovers. In Chinese, it sounds a little bit funny, but as a joke, the man does not work, actually, and they have three helpers at home. And But still, for her, she said, in the moment where I come back home, I am the woman who needs to serve the man. And just think about that. Mm, and this I am. is how <laughs> and, 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 and I think this is something that we um, what I massively underestimated because what I just mentioned, I mean this is still even still happening, I think, in the US because conservatism is also there. Mm. Asia, let's differentiate a ASEAN as Singapore, Thailand, all the countries, Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, Taiwan, I mean the ASEAN countries, every country which has a kind of colonial influence while still have that thought process. If you compare to Taiwan, for example, where the American was there, people were way, way more liberated. Mm. And then having said that, ASEAN, of course, you have smaller countries, different roles, different religions, different thought process, which make this whole, uh, whole you know, transformation of thought of women, you need years, actually, I mean, a stigma or a certain yeah, let's say stigma that has been established in our society for hundreds if not thousands of years it won't take just a zazazu to break it 
Of course, there are many, many different sexual well-being companies, sexual health, women's health, femtech. The rise of femtech definitely raised more awareness in society to encourage women to take care of yourself, and sex eventually will become part of it. So I think we are way too early still, but I'm still hanging there. <laughs> therefore, <laughs> I think. Therefore, I think. We changed really from you know dealing with consumer directly because people, women need endorsement either from doctor, from husband, or from a higher power to let them in. So let's start with the corporate. So we have run some corporate workshop which has been fairly successful. It's not talking about sex per se, but it's talk about just thought process. How do you empower yourself by understand your body by Owning your body first before you actually move forward um, on other aspects. So I think that this is the conservatism、um, mm. is is I would say the biggest challenge. And the second challenge is I think is going back to my childhood a bit as well is the lack of ability to challenge the status quo、mm. here in this region. Is that because we are I mean it's not people's fault because the education system never dared to let you challenge the status quo. So sex is bad. Okay, sex is bad. Let's remain bad. End of the story. Yeah, it's interesting because I think education is really the key. And you know, obviously, I talk about financial education a lot, but I think sex, sex education is just as much lacking in in our tertiary education as financial education. So this is two areas of interest for me. And it's it's crazy because money and sex woven into our entire lives forever.、Yes. You know, for our, you know, from start to finish. And you know, why we don't give people the tools they need is just it's absurd. Third,、um, there's also the challenges around advertising, you know, and using,、yeah. you know, there's a and there's a lot of gender inequality, I would say, between what we can say for for male sexual health versus female sexual health. There's a certain words, and you probably know more better than I do, but I just remember when I was due diligencing these companies that I invest, I was investing into at the time, you couldn't. You know, use the word vagina, for、yeah. example, but、yeah. you know, you could use the word penis. We can advertise our erectile dysfunction products, but it w- wasn't working for women. And、uh, one of my companies in the U.S. took on the U.S. Subway.、Um, mm. I forget what it's called now. The the、um, in New York and actually won, but it was a huge, huge battle, huge、yes. deal, and a huge battle. So there's there's a lot of challenges there for you. So I'm really intrigued that the B to B model as well is working. Is working for you. I saw that on your website a good few,、uh, maybe two weeks ago or one week ago, and was amazed at how that you've managed to get that off the ground because that's a huge achievement. I think this is something that I empower. So I coach a lot of female founders as well in INSEAD, and、uh, something that I encourage every woman running generally business to do is that the reason I succeed here is because I have a very powerful profile in LinkedIn. Mm. Is that? But this is something, nothing that you build overnight. This is something consistency over. I mean, in two years, I was not that active before Zaza Zoom. What、yeah. I recognize that you can't be what you can't see. You、yes. can go do the greatest work in the world if nobody see it, nobody talk about it.、Yeah. Be controversial. I mean, dare to talk, dare to express your opinion, dare to say things, even and then don't worry about what people think about it. At the、yeah. end of the day, in this way. Your true tribe, let it be the business partner, let it be、um, clients coming, will come out of that. You know the the thought process you are sharing and、um, how is your business running, your obstacles.、Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I can encourage everyone to share their expertise in in business and how business 
is evolving and we want to challenge status quo. I mean, the social media challenge you mentioned is that, I mean, people, I feel that a lot of people are saying social media is, um, I mean, you cannot say vagina, you cannot say certain women, female body parts. Oh, let's fight for that. And what I recognize that this is just on the surface. And mm. I think people don't talk about why we don't, we can't talk about female part because erectile dysfunction, what you mentioned, is considered as a um, health condition. Yes. Is that the purpose of male pleasure, the orgasm, give the semen to the woman so she can get pregnant. Mm. This is the, our future of humanity. But the female pleasure is functional. Is There's no purpose behind. And as long as the society, as the big tech platform, we all know who they are, are led by men, yeah. uh, it is very difficult for men to understand something that is not health condition, because this could be porn then, or this could be something that is, you know, socially um, contradictory. So let's, let's kill it. So this is the thought process behind. In the moment where you say things like this, this will give people to think, to reflect at the end. And then people will question, okay, what's the deal there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I've even in the last four or five years since I've started in this space, I've seen changes happening, but it takes, you know, it takes people out the front of those tech platforms that you mentioned with placards, you know, you know, doing a demonstration and demanding change. And I think that the community in the sexual wellness and femtech communities are doing a great job of yeah having a voice like yours, Jingjing. And also to that point, your LinkedIn, um, if, if you're not following Jingjing on LinkedIn, then you absolutely should, because I love your posts. They're amazing, really well thought out and super smart. And I really, really enjoy reading them. They're a highlight. So thank you. Keep those up. And I agree with you. Um, you know, I recently read something that said uh, 20% of people that read your LinkedIn posts won't agree with you. And that's okay. And they yes. might disagree with you and they might unfollow you. And etc etc and that's absolutely fine because on LinkedIn you really only want the people that are behind your mission and are aligned with you um, in your following anyway so that's actually you know not a bad thing um, if we can get comfortable with that then that's yeah. great not, not an easy thing to do but thank you so much Xingxing for your time today I've really really enjoyed our chat I have so many more questions about Zazazu but um, let's catch up again in a year um, so we can see how how you guys have progressed over there and um, how your B2B strategy is going. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Tanya, for, and just last word on Sophia Woman. I am absolutely amazed and delighted. I'm sharing to everyone, every my girlfriends, in my insight friends about Sophia, the reason behind this is something that I really want to tell with this, in, in, take this opportunity to say. When I started ZazaZoom, and because, okay, I'm, it's easier for me to raise funds because it's always easier for serious entrepreneurs. I bet they all regret that. But at that time, just a joke aside, is that when I talked to, I saw this into my INSEAD chat, and I had, I think, 20 people were interested into investing small ticket size, $10,000 small ticket size, and uh, none of them were women. Mm. And I was like, okay, you cannot start a well-being company for women, not have any woman backing you. We're talking about 
the higher percentage of the society. These are not women that women have went to INSEAD. This is the top of the top yeah. women. So I went to the girls chat, women's chat. I was like, okay, ladies, I really have a favor to ask if you are investing. I know this is not the money that you need to feed your kids. So if you are instantly investing into stock market, I need someone advocate. If you believe in what I'm doing, please come back. So two came back out of 70. What I understood, then I went back again and asked for some women why they didn't. The reason behind, I thought this was, oh, they are against me now. No, because they don't understand. They yeah. simply don't understand how startup works. How it works. Uh, exactly. They don't understand what is beyond how the terms or safe agreement or convertible notes, common share, or what's the good deal. Okay, let me not do it. And I said, that's why it's so important financial literacy, because at the end of the day, to building confidence for women, if you know that you're well taken care of your financial well-being, you are damn, you are damn confident yeah. and more than anything else. Therefore, everyone who has who is wondering how to make financial literacies, how to understand things, who to Sophia Woman, this is something that is so amazing. And I listen to your podcast and I see the co-founders of the team. And um, I think there's no better women to teach from true experiences and walk the talks as well. So Thank you. Thank you so much. And just like, you know, obviously it's it's women like you, Jingjing, building businesses like you are that really drove us to start Sophia as well, because we could see, you know, um, you know, not every founder is on their second, third business and fundraising is a challenge and the, the data is pretty poor for women entrepreneurs. So you know, we wanted to to help to make that a little easier because it's hard enough running a business, right? Starting a business is hard enough without dedicating your time full time to fundraising. Um, so how do we help that? And that's where, you know, the, the idea of Sophia comes from is mobilizing that capital from women so that when you send that INSEAD message to 70 women, 70 women come back to you and say, tell me more. I love exactly. investing in startups. Tell me more. Exactly. That's where we want to get to. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for that last little tidbit. That was a great um, ending. So thank you. Um, thank I you. wish you all the luck with Zazazu and let's uh, speak again. Thank you, Sanya. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Money Makers podcast brought to you by Sophia, the education platform for women that increases diversity in early stage investing. Visit sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all our courses. Learn, invest and change the world.